This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll now move into a time of scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 5 to chapter 7. Uh, I'll invite Ruth up to read to us, and after that, Pastor Andrew will come up to give the sermon. I'm reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 5, verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us, because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath? So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. As the Ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought the Ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, Send the Ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place, or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy on it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 17 These are the gold tumors the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord, one each for Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And the number of the gold rats was according to the number of Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers, the fortified towns with their country villages. The large rock on which the Levites set the Ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the Ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the Ark go up from here? Then they sent messages to the people of Kiarath Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the Ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town. So the men of Kiriath Jerim came and took up the Ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to guard the Ark of the Lord. 
The ark remained at Kiriath Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. He said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were rooted before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. This is the word of God. Okay, it's really great to see all of you here today, uh, especially you for here from the camp. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, we pray for your help to understand your word. Help us to see and feel and really take to heart you are a powerful God, a holy God and a judge. How we need to have the right relationship with you, not seek to manipulate you or to put you aside. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. How many hours do you estimate that you spend in front of your desktop, your laptop, your handphone, your tablet, and your TV? Okay, so this is a younger crowd from the older crowd in the morning, so I presume it will be higher than downstairs. What what do you estimate? Just calculate. How much time do you spend in front of your laptop screen, your desktop screen, your tablet, your handphone, or your TV? the whole day, 24 hours, uh, except when you're sleeping. Because hopefully you're not watching TV while you're sleeping. But anyway, estimates apparently are 10 hours a day. Okay, So you consider if you sleep 8 hours a day, there's only 6 hours a day doing other stuff. But what they found is actually because we spend so much time in front of our screens, they've actually found that research has found that the people's ability to have relationships have actually been affected. That people have trouble developing relationships because they're kind of stuck in front of the screen all the time. So there was a real experiment done, and I don't know how they did it, but in a company somewhere, they actually shut off the internet and the Wi-Fi, so people were forced to actually communicate to one another. But what they found was people would rather sit at their desk and do the work than actually walk down to the table down uh, the hall to actually talk to the person down there to discuss and delegate work. Because we're kind of like so used to communicating just with our devices, right? 
So we struggle in terms of building relationships, in terms of horizontally with one another, then we also have a struggle in terms of building a relationship to God vertically, right? So how are we to develop a relationship with God? So today, we're going to be looking at relationships one-on-one with God. And that's what today's passage is about. Relationship one-on-one with God. We began last week by seeing that God had promised the promised land to God's people. The people had started going to the land, but last week we saw that God's people's relationship with God was broken, right? It was damaged. We saw last week that the main reasons were because in those days, Israel had no king. They didn't recognize God as God, right? They failed in that way. Everyone did as they saw fit. They were all wicked. They all did what they wanted to do and not what God wanted them to do. Lastly, last week's passage, we saw that the temple and sacrificial system had become corrupt become destroyed by wicked sons who are also priests. Now, the word of God had come to Samuel, the prophet, last week, and God had promised that he would judge Eli and his two sons. And as a sign of this, if you remember, he said that both Eli and Phinehas would die in one day, right, at the same time. So as we come to today's passage, there's a tension, okay, tension of what's happening in the narrative, in the story, Tension in terms of the sin and its effect on the broken relationship between God and his people. A shorter term tension in terms of the sin of Eli and Hopni and Pinehas and what God is going to do to judge Eli and his family. So we begin today's passage with a big battle. Right, so if you watch some movies, like Saving Private Ryan, you know, always starts off with a big battle. But we're starting off today with a big battle. Now, if you notice here, in the Promised Land in the West, the Philistines had actually been conquering or they'd owned this part of the land, right, before the Israelites got there. Okay, the Philistines were there in the west. And so the, the, the Israelites were moving in from the east and pushing into Philistine territory. You would expect that because of the covenant promises of God, that this, was, this land had been promised to them by God, that Israel would easily move in and take over the Philistine territory and defeat the Philistines. But what we see in today's passage was, the Philistines deployed their forces and Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them. Now notice the response then of Israel. They asked this question, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? That's the right question, right? They expected that they would win, but they lost. And they realized it wasn't because the Philistines defeated them, but because God hadn't delivered the victory to them, right? that God had brought defeat on us today. Now, this is the correct question. And really, it should have caused them to have some degree of reflection, right? introspection, wake up, look at the mirror, take it to themselves, because the covenant promises of God, which promised the promised land to them, showed that God was faithful, but they had their part to play. And their part to play was to be faithful to God alone and to obey the covenant commands and the laws. But instead of being introspective, putting the mirror up to themselves, and taking a hard look at themselves, what did they do instead? They said, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, the ark 
is the Ark of the Covenant, right? And the Ark of the Covenant had actually been provided by God as part of the temple sacrificial system. There are all these things that were provided by God that the Israelites had to do, right? They had to build a tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the altar of incense, the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice, and also, most importantly, the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence was meant to be. So in between the winged angels, right, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, was where God was supposed to be. God was supposed to be enthroned between the cherubim, right, the two angels at the top of the Ark. So the people felt, well, if we bring the Ark to the battle, then we will physically bring God to the battlefield, and we can't lose, right? It's like Lionel Messi, Pele, Ronaldo, Michael Jordan, Kobe and Steph, you bring them to the court, how can you lose, right? So we'll bring God to the battlefield and we will definitely be victorious. So what happens? This time they fight and again they lose and this time they lose 30,000 foot soldiers. The very first time they lost 4,000, now they lost 30,000 people. It was a great slaughter, right? So the question we ask ourselves is, how did this happen? You lost four, now you lost 30, and now you lost the ark as well. The first reason was because they didn't really deal with the sin problem, right? The broken relationship problem that they had with God. What they tried to do instead was they tried to manipulate God. They tried to manipulate God, right? Many years ago, I went to... uh, uh, I think it was a Youth for Christ meeting. You know, Youth for Christ, the headquarters is in Geylang. And so after the meeting, it was quite late, about 9.30, 10, and a group of us decided to go for supper. I don't usually go for supper late at night in Geylang, but it was quite an interesting experience because you see like all these women from the karaoke bars coming out with their uh, boyfriends or guys out to eat the same time they were eating. And I observed to myself that actually, the men and the women, they're not really interested in having a deep and meaningful relationship with one another. I think the men are more interested in having sex with the women, and the women are more interested in like, getting money or stuff from the guys, right? Well, in a sense, that was like Israel's approach to God, right? Israel wanted to manipulate God, to pull the strings and to force the hand of God, but but they weren't really interested in fixing their relationship. They just wanted to use God to gain the victory. We can do that too as Christians, right? Instead of focusing on our relationship with God and dealing with the problem of sin, we just want to manipulate God and to get things from God. So many years ago, maybe for some of you younger people, you're not aware of this phenomenon called the prayer of Jabez. So even today, some people believe in the prayer of Jabez where if you pray this prayer of Jabez, 40 days in, in a row, it's guaranteed that God will enlarge your territory and to bless you. Now, isn't that manipulating God? You're not really focusing on your relationship with God, but you just want something from God and you just do something to force God's hand, pray 40 days so that you'll get something. As I was preparing this sermon, I went for lunch, I think on a Wednesday, and God gave me a sermon illustration. Beside the car that I was parked with on, I, I, I got out of my car and I thought, I said, God, thank you for this sermon illustration. I looked at the car next door, and here was this car 
which has all these lucky icons, right? But instead of a lucky dice or other stuff, there's a, a rosary, copy of the New Testament, and a palm branch. Now, I'm sure God intends for us to read our New Testaments and not use it as a lucky icon in our car, right, to put it at the front there. But that's what this person was doing, right? They were just kind of like filling their car up with religious trinkets, in a sense, hopeful, hopeful that God will protect his, his or her car from any accident, right? We can do the same thing, right? We can say to ourselves, okay, because I do ministry, I'm in a Bible study, I come to church regularly, well then, actually, God deserves it. I deserve for God to do stuff for me, right? So I remember this uh, Ravi Zacharias. He was a great Christian apologist who fell from grace. It was interesting because he was actually a sexual predator. And he would actually sleep with uh, women who were giving him massages. When I read the story about Ravi and the interviews that uh, were given as a result afterwards, he used to tell these ladies who were giving him massages that, you know, I really need this because I'm doing great work for God. You know, God is okay with this because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really stressed and I, and I need this as a form of a release, right? What was Ravi doing? Ravi, in a sense, was trying to pull strings of God. He wanted God's blessing on his ministry, but he wasn't interested in dealing with the sin in his life in terms of fixing his relationship with God. We can be like that too. We want things from God, but we're not serious about the relationship with God. And so this is the first mistake, right? This is the first mistake with dealing with God. As we saw over the last few weeks, this is the structure of 1 and 2 Samuel. And we said that the prayers and the prophecies and the speeches are really important. And last week, we looked at Hannah's prayer. And in Hannah's prayer, we are told of the character of God. Right? There is no one holy like the God. God is powerful, right? He makes death, brings life. He's creator God. He's the judge. Now, if this is the character of God, you cannot manipulate God. You cannot manipulate God. You have to deal with the problem of sin before you have a relationship with God. So Israel failed to deal with the problem of their broken relationship because of sin in their life. But also, Eli and Hopni and Pinehas failed to deal with the problem of their own sin in their own life. So I want us to notice when we, when we look back, right, who were the people who brought the Ark of the Covenant to the battlefield? It was none other than Eli's sons, right? Hopni, now, I don't know about you, but God had been very clear, right? He'd spoken twice and publicly through the man of God and through Samuel saying, Hopni and Pinehas are going to die in one day. So if I'm in the battlefield and I see Hopni and Pinehas coming, what is happening? I'm running the other way, right? I don't want to be anywhere close to Hopni and Pinehas because they're both going to die and what better place to die than in the battlefield? And sure enough, the word of God comes true. Hopni and Pinehas die on the same day in the battlefield. Then Eli dies straight after hearing the bad news. And then, then Eli's daughter-in-law dies. But before she dies, she gives birth to a son. And she names him Ichabod. Ichabod basically means, in our words, goodbye. La. Goodbye. It's like goodbye from God, the glory has departed from Israel. The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. See, together, 
This shows us the first lesson of relationship 101 of God. You try to manipulate God, you don't fix your relationship with Him, you don't want to deal with the problem of sin, then God says, Ichabod, right? Goodbye to you. He doesn't have a relationship with you. You have no relationship with God. Now, after this uh, mighty victory by the Philistines, the Philistines are very happy, right? You can imagine in the Ashdod Straits Times or the Channel News Ashdod. We are the champions and Israel is the loser, right? You can imagine like they have their Champions League t-shirts. Champions of the ancient world, Battle of Ebenezer, winners 1090 BC. And so they bring the Ark of the Covenant to their main city in Ashdod. They bring it to their main temple, the Temple of Dagon. They symbolically set up the Ark of the Covenant at the foot of Dagon. The first night, the people of Ashdod go to sleep. And the next morning, they find something strange has happened. They find that poor Dagon has fallen on his face, bowing down before the Ark. So they put him up again, put up Dagon. Next morning, they wake up and something even more strange has happened. Poor Dagon has been viciously dismembered, right? His head has been decapitated. His arms have broken off and he's fallen on his face before the ark again. So one pastor said, you know what the problem of Dagon was? He was here today and he was gone tomorrow. That's why he's Dagon, right? So strange things were happening, right, in the city of Ashdod. But stranger things were happening because as the ark was coming in to Ashdod, people started getting boils and tumors. Now, many competitors feel that it was like the bubonic plague. You know, the bubonic plague was called the Black Death. In the 1400s in Europe, it killed half the population of Europe, the bubonic plague. And this is what was happening in Israel. So the Philistines said the hand of the Lord was heavy, heavy on the people of Ashdod. He brought devastation and afflicted them with tumors. His hand was heavy on them and the God Dagon. So they asked themselves the logical question, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? What shall we do with this heavy God, right? So their solution was NIMBY. Have you ever heard this word before, NIMBY? See, I'm teaching you new stuff. NIMBY. Not in my backyard. Okay, That's what NIMBY stands for. So government says to you, they want to build cremation site in your neighborhood. You say, NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard. You can put it in, uh, instead of putting it in your backyard, you put it, say, somewhere else, right? Far, far away. And so that's what they said, okay? The Ashdod people say, NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard. Let's put it in Gath. Let's move the Ark of, of the Covenant to Gath. And then all the people there also got afflicted with boils and tumors and died. And the people of Gath said, okay, no, let's go to Akron. Then again, all the people there died and had boils and tumors. And so for seven months, they practiced this solution of NIMBY, right? And basically, across the whole of Philistine, people were getting tumors and boils and dying. So this is the second mistake, right? The Philistines thought that, that they could put God in his place, that 
they were stronger, more powerful than God, and they could control God. But they didn't recognize the character of God, what, what Hannah's prayer said. You can't control the creator God, can you? You can't control the holy, powerful God who controls life and death, and it's the judge. No, you can't. And so for seven months, they were repeatedly learning this lesson. But after seven months, they had enough. And they said, we're going to return the ark of Israel, the God of Israel, back to Israel. But notice what they did. Together with the ark, they sent a gift offering. What is a gift offering? A gift offering, according to the book of Leviticus, the Old Testament, is where you sin against God accidentally in the handling of holy things. And uh, Leviticus actually tells you that you're supposed to sacrifice certain things, but obviously the pagans don't know. So what they do is they, they send uh, five gold tumors and five gold rats. Now, I think the author of the book of 1 Samuel is actually trying to make a point here. The Philistines, even though they're pagans, actually, in a sense, recognize the character of God better than even God's people. And so they respond to God by recognizing that they've sinned against God, they've offended God, they've done something wrong against God, and they need to atone for it by sin and guilt offering. They don't try to manipulate God like the Israelites, right? But they actually deal with the problem of sin. And so they send the five gold rats and the five gold tumors. And it works. Right? From what we see, all the death and the heavy hand of God in judgment is taken away. Now, that's the reality, right? If you want to deal with a God who in reality is holy, powerful, creator and judge, you need to deal with the problem of sin. I had a relative of mine um, who... I met with recently and I asked them how they are and they said, oh, you know, I'm, I feel really spiritual these days. And I'm like, oh, that's really good, right? You feel really spiritual. Uh, how's your relationship with God? I said, oh, fantastic. He said, I've never had a better relationship with God. I said to him, how is that so? And he said, well, I meditate every day. And I was thinking to myself, you don't know God, right? Because... If God is a holy God who is powerful and creator and judge, and you are a sinner, you cannot actually get a deep and meaningful relationship with this God without dealing with the problem of sin. It's like, how do you meditate your way into a better relationship with God? You can't, right? So I invited him to go to visit this church. Because... In relationship one-on-one with God, in order to meet with God, to know God, have a relationship with God, we need to have a sin offering to God, an atoning offering to God. And that's why Jesus came, right? Because Jesus came as a sin offering on our behalf to God. So that's why, as Christians, we need Jesus so much. Now, what happens next is that the Philistines actually put the ark on a cart, with two cows. The ark is actually sent back from the Philistine territory to this place called Beth Shemesh. Can you see it on the map? Might be a bit small for you, but I think most of you can see it, right? Where the, the Google map icon is. Okay, Beth Shemesh. Now, when the ark comes back, there's great joy, great celebration, fireworks. They chop up the cart, 
They build a fire and they sacrifice the poor cows who had no say in it as a burnt offering to God. But the mood changes really abruptly. But, it says, God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Now, Ari said earlier on that, that the ark itself has to be transported by the priests, the Levites. They are the only ones who are allowed by God to handle the holy ark. But here were these people with itchy fingers, right? For whom it wasn't just enough to touch the outside of the ark. What did they have to do? They actually opened the ark and looked inside the ark itself. They actually looked at the holy things inside the ark. And so what did God do? He did what he had already promised, right? He slayed them. Seventy of them died. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. But the people of Beshemeth asked, who can stand the presence of the Lord, this holy God? Hey, this is like deja vu. This is exactly what the people of Ashdod and the Philistines said, right? God had laid a heavy hand, he was heavy, on the Philistines. And they asked, what should we do, right? Who can stand the presence of this holy God? Now, as God's people, again, the answer should be so obvious, right? Because in the covenant, God had already told them how they could stand before him as the holy God, to be faithful to him alone and to obey the covenant commands and the laws. Basic relationship 101. God had already given the word to them, right? But what did they do? What was their solution? What was the answer? To whom will the ark go up from here? The answer that these Israelites came up with was exactly the same answer as the Philistines. NIMBY. Not in my backyard, right? So what did they do? They sent the ark from Beth Shemesh to this place called kiriath Jerem, and it stayed there for a long time. Now that's amazing, right? So the ark came to Beth Shemesh. 70 people died. So they moved the ark Kiriath Jerim. It stayed there for 20 years. And for 20 years, let's think about it, right? It wasn't worshipped. It didn't go back to Shiloh where the tent of meeting was. It didn't go back to where it was meant as a sacrificial place. But instead, for 20 years, it was under lock and key. It was guarded. You know, it reminds me, right? It's like sometimes you get emails which are like too hard basket, right? Like, you know, it's like you don't know what to do with it. So what do you do with the email? You archive it. Or maybe that's what you do, but that's what I do, right? Maybe you delete it. Who knows, right? But that's what God was, that's what the people are doing to God, right? It's like God came, too hard to handle, can't figure it out, we'll archive it. And that's what they did. They just kind of put it in this small place and just put it under lock and key and guarded it. It reminds me of uh, this movie. Have you all seen this movie before, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of Lost Ark? Okay, so maybe the younger people haven't seen it, but if you ever get a chance to see it, it's, it's, it's actually really entertaining. But anyway, I'll tell you the ending. The end, at the end, right, they actually recover the, the Ark of the Covenant. And what do they do? It actually gets archived and stored in storage by like the CIA, right? So like, it gets lost again in the government, the American government storage system, right? And that's exactly what happens here, right? But this is a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake. It's like 
Neglecting or archiving God or putting God into the too hard basket is never a solution. I remember many, many years ago, there was a young Christian sitting here in church, not in this big building, who became a Christian and was super excited. But then we did a series on the Old Testament, and then this person stopped coming to church again. I met up with him and I said, why do you want to stop coming to church? He said, oh, because you know, when you study the Old Testament, he realized that God is this angry, judging God. He's so holy, right? And he felt so threatened by it. And so he decided to archive God and say, okay, I'll deal with it on another day. Isn't that foolish? Because God's nature is, and character is like this, but, but God has given us a way to come to him and to relate to him, to Jesus, but he just found it too difficult. Now, this was a mistake for Israel. For 20 years, they archived the Ark of the Covenant, and they forgot about God. And during this time, the Philistines kept growing in power, stronger and stronger, and they kept encroaching further and further into Israelite territory. Finally, after 20 years, the people like, said, okay, we can't take this anymore, right? Things are not working. Then all the people of Israel turned back to God, and so Samuel said to the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then get rid of all the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Now this verse is really amazing, right? That means that for 20 years, Samuel has kind of like disappeared from the scene, right? We haven't seen him for the last three chapters. It's not as if he's like taken a long sabbatical, right? He's probably out there still bringing the word of God to people, but, but they weren't paying attention. What were they doing instead? They were worshipping the Baals, right? They were worshipping the Asterisks. They were worshipping the gods of all these nations, and that's why they didn't need the ark anymore. That's why they could store the ark and put it under lock and key, because they were worshipping the idols. But what did it do for them? Nothing. It didn't deliver them from the Philistines. So, Samuel calls them now to this big Bible conference, right, and tells them to get rid of all their idolatry. He invites them to come to this place called Mizpah. Now, Mizpah, you can see, is quite central in Israelite territory. The Philistines hear of this big Bible conference, and they bring their armies to Mizpah, in an effort to wipe out Israel once and for all, right? Just to get rid of all the pesky Israelites. Now, don't forget, the last time we read of a big battle between the Philistines and God's people, what happened? They lost 34,000 people. It was a great slaughter. So this time, we're a bit worried, right? Maybe the same thing will happen again. So what happens this time? The Philistine come armies come into the heart of Israel. This time, the Israelite army actually overcomes the Philistine army. And they are the ones who inflict the heavy losses and are able to bring their forces into Philistine territory and to defeat the Philistines so greatly that there's peace in the time of Samuel's life. Now, what happened that changed the outcome of the battle from the first battle to the next battle? Well, in the first battle, God's people tried to manipulate God, right? Use the ark to pull strings of God. But in the second battle, 
the people actually deal with the problem of sin and their relationship with God. They actually repent, and Samuel intercedes on their behalf with God, and God hears his cries. So Israelites, they put away their bowels and their asterisks, and they serve the Lord only. They confess, we have sinned against the Lord. They repent sincerely. And then Samuel sacrificed a burnt offering. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. See, what we see here is a tremendous change, a valuable lesson for us. It's calling out to us and teaching us and instructing us that if we want to have God on our side, we need to be sincere in repenting. And also, we need a mediator, an intercessor, who cries out to God on our behalf. See, what's the secret of relationships? The secret of relationships is you need to know the other person, the nature of the other person, the character of the other person. So let's say you're really interested in going out with this girl. You wouldn't ask her to go to your favorite steak restaurant if you find out that she's a vegan, right? right, Why would you bring this girl to a steak restaurant if she's a vegan? doesn't make sense. For her birthday, you wouldn't buy her this huge bouquet of flowers if you knew that she was allergic to flowers, right? Does it make sense, right? And again, you wouldn't invite her to watch John Wick 4 if she hates violent movies, right? Does it make sense? Because that's not what this person is like. So in the same way, if God is a holy God, God is a powerful God, He's a judge and creator, sustainer of all things, then if we know God is like that, then we must relate to God according to His power and to His character, right? So we cannot make the mistake of thinking we can manipulate God because God is beyond our manipulation. We cannot put God in His place because God is too big to be put in His place. And we cannot archive God because we will only be the ones who are hurt. Rather, we need to relate to God, have a deep and meaningful relationship with God. And that only happens with three things that we've learned today. We need a sin offering to pay for the wrongs that we've offended God with. We need to repent and be sincere about living rightly and following him. And we need a mediator, someone like Jesus, right, who will cry out to God on our behalf. See, many years ago, I remember seeing this cartoon, right, or or I I like following Charlie Brown's Snoopy cartoons. He says, a mistake is only a mistake if you don't learn from it. It's true, right? A mistake is only a mistake if you don't learn from it. The same way, this passage here, is teaching us about learning from mistakes, right? But hopefully not our mistakes. If we know who God really is, then don't make the mistakes that we've seen in today's passage. Don't think you can manipulate God and hide your own insincerity in your relationship with God. Don't think you can control God. And don't think that you can neglect God and put Him in a corner and archive Him. And things will still be okay. God desires to have a deep, sincere relationship with us. And that's why He sent us Jesus, right? He's already sent us our sin offering. He's already sent us our mediator. Our response must be to be sincere and to follow Jesus and to hold on to him and to truly repent so that indeed the problem of sin will be dealt with once and for all and we will have this 
wonderful, deep, and meaningful relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we confess that for many of us, we may make the same mistakes as what we have seen today. Our relationship with you has grown cold, distant. We feel that uh, we're not really putting effort into that relationship anymore. We feel that even without that relationship, without being serious in our relationship with you, we still desire your blessings, your presence, your watching over us, and your salvation and deliverance. But help us to see that this is merely doing the same mistakes of the passage today, manipulating you, neglecting you, thinking that we have control over you. Help us to see that what we need instead is a true turning back to you in repentance, a sincere following of Jesus so that we may know you. Dear Father, help us to see that we already have our sin offering, our mediator, our intercessor in Jesus. Help us all the more to always hold on to him and to always truly desire to have a deep and meaningful relationship to you through our faith in Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll now have a time of uh, reflection. Uh, there are two questions on the screen. The first is, uh, how is your relationship with God? And the second is, what have I learned today that helps my relationship? So I'll give us some time uh, as we have a short discussion. And I'll call us back. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.